0: Your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto. Alongside Brandon Pillar up in Collingwood, and coming up, we are getting into some lists. We've gotten mad at them in the last few episodes, but now we're making our own, and feel free to get mad at ours at Sent Central on Twitter. We asked there, who is your current organizational 23 and under ranking? Now include as many players as you think are going to be everyday NHLers, and they can be drafted in 2015 or closer we're going to split that into two parts we're giving a top 15 but in between we get back to friend of the show tony ferrari the head of north american scouting with dauber prospects he comes back to finish off that second appearance if you haven't heard part one download yesterday's episode this is the locked on senators podcast your team every day Okay, full disclosure here, what you're about to hear has been recorded late last night. I got to run to work, but when Connor Brown signs, you know we have to get our two cents in, and that's exactly what happened. The two sides avoid arbitration this morning. Pillsy, the deal is three years with an average of $3.6 million, just about perfect for Connor Brown.
2: I love this deal. I mean, I'll I'll be honest, I love this deal more for the team than for the player. I really thought Connor Brown was going to get closer to the $4 million mark than this. But if you look at the way that the contract breaks down, he's getting $2.8 million this season and then $4 million and $4 million in the last two seasons. I think that... like. This worked out so well. Sure, it went right down to the damn wire and we're hours away from this not being possible. But a three-year deal keeps Connor Brown around long enough that he's probably not going to get surpassed by too many prospects. And even if he does, that's okay. You can bump him up and down the lineup. And at that cost you're not worried like this isn't like this isn't like a Vancouver situation where you got Beagle and Roussel making 3 million or in their fourth liners like Connor Brown deserves this money and this isn't going to ruin the cap plan
1: and as you're about to hear in part 2 with Tony Ferrari we ask him who's more important to lock up Connor Brown Chris Tierney and he says it's a situation where Connor Brown can be on your first line will he be the best player on it no but the way his game is so complimentary to other players, he can move up and down a lineup. So if you have an injury, boom, Connor Brown can be your guy. He's versatility and his relationship already with DJ Smith relying on him in a first year situation. Here's another guy wouldn't be surprised to see where a letter at some point this season as well. So he brings those intangibles and he still owes me a 20 goal season. So he only got very close this year, but hopefully with a full 82 game season, eventually that's where he can be a 20 goal. 45 45 50 point guy maybe but if he's putting up 50 points for this value that's a great deal so this deal obviously takes him right to unrestricted free agency he would have had that even on a one year deal so pilsey getting those two ufa years locked up at four million in cash the aav under four you can't say anything but a win dorian is staying hot right now definitely and look we, we had our doubts, we had our worries, like why
2: hasn't this been done? We, we made an episode, I'm pretty sure, in May saying Dorian needs to sign Connor Brown. And we're looking at October 22nd, hours before arbitration date, and he got it done. But if that's what you got to do to put the pressure on to get the right deal, then that's fine. That's business. And interesting note, uh, Ross, and I, I wonder if you feel the same. This is going to end, this Connor Brown contract is going to end the same time as Dadnov's contract. Do you think Pierre Dorian has kind of a three-year window here where he's like, we're going to have these vets around, and then once this three-year window is done, we're going to hand things over to the prospects, or is this just coincidence?
1: Yeah, I'd say that makes sense. There's no coincidences when it comes to making these kind of deals. GMs know what they're doing long-term, and I think what we should have to in our back pocket as well is not only Drake, not only... Um, The prospects like Balcer, Schlappek, who we all get into in this episode. But the young guys who were in this 2020 draft, and they drafted a lot of wingers. Sokolov, Jarventi come to mind in the second round. That's when those guys should be able to take the next step as well. So, without further ado, let's get to those top prospects and more. Had to get our Connor Brown takes in there. But this is the Locked On Daily Home for your Ottawa and Belleville Senators. Let's get into it. Today is Wednesday, October twenty second, and Pilsy. It has been two hundred and twenty five days since the Ottawa Senators last played hockey.
2: My God, that number is getting crazier and crazier. It's what? Are we gonna hit? What's the highest number we're gonna hit? If it's well, gonna it's go not gonna to be, mid to late January,
1: not gonna be three sixty five. That would nope. take us to March eleventh. Is the exact damn date. close though. Ottawa, Los Angeles, L.A. pulling out the big 3-2 victory, which actually, funny enough, that would have increased Ottawa's odds in the draft lottery. However, L.A., with the position that they finished in, due to that win, they automatically or obviously jumped back in front of Ottawa. So how that played out is crazy. We might get to 300 days, though, Pilsy, and every day feels longer and longer. Although we talked about on the show yesterday, Pierre Lebrun reporting that, the teams that did not return to play, the ones who have not played in 225 days, they'll get extra time at training camp. Will the AHL start earlier even? Maybe just so that the big bosses in the NHL markets, Pierre Dorian, can watch those young players? Because, Pilsey, I got to say, the longer that these kids have to prove themselves in camp, the better with the inexperience that will be in Ottawa's 53-man roster. Well, absolutely.
2: And I mean, we're going to get into our list here and there's some tight competition. Like hardly anyone has their place etched in stone in this roster, maybe a handful of guys. But a lot of a lot of positions, roster spots, two or sometimes even three guys are going to be fighting over that same spot. So the more training camp, the more eyes they get on these guys to make decisions about who's going to make that jump to the NHL, the better
1: few guys who we have in our list are already everyday NHLers. We wanted the list to be as strong as possible. We're doing our top 15. We're going to do our top 10, then send it over to Tony Ferrari. Great part two of that interview. You're going to want to hear it. But then after, we'll give you spots 11 to 15. And then we each did five honorable mentions. And it's funny. We each had one guy different in our honorable mentions, they're both defensemen. So we'll argue that is our last point of why we each have them there. But we're starting with the best players in the organization that are drafted in 2015 or later. We will say we excluded Christian Willannon because he was born even earlier. He's 25 years old. So it's a 23 and under list. Pillsy, we both had the same guy, number one. Why is it Thomas Shabbat?
2: He's an elite number one defenseman already. And we're talking about projection of how these players are going to be in the next five years in five years, Thomas Shabbat might have already won a Norris trophy.
1: I would be surprised if he if he doesn't. You can almost guarantee that he will have represented Canada at the Olympics by then. Can you not?
2: I, yeah, I don't see why not. And even in on Team Canada, he's probably in the top four, so yeah this there's it's a clear cut choice that Thomas Shabbat a cornerstone franchise defenseman is the number one guy on this list
1: and isn't it fun so the next two guys on the list are both top five picks but Thomas Shabbat fell into the senator's lap when they were still competing it was actually the year that they would have had a lottery pick it was the Hamburglar year they make it to the playoffs but no fret you draft eighteenth overall why not get a superstar in that spot that does add a little bit of spice to it, in Trent Mann's first pick running the Sens table.
2: What a way to start things off, getting arguably one of the best defensemen in franchise history. like That's, that's a good way to start things off for Trent Mann.
1: And I like how you did mention as well we are projecting this is the list for exactly five years down the line. So we're talking about a 28, 29-year-old Thomas Shabbat, which is going to be a hell of a player. And because he plays that defensive position, and we saw he led the entire National Hockey League in ice time, last season that's only going to improve as he gets more and more comfortable but that's not taking anything away from number two on our list brady kachuk who i cannot wait brandon to see in a playoff game wearing that 2d
2: yeah having brady kachuk playing in meaningful games like this guy grinds and fights his way through rebuilding meaningless games like Imagine at the end of the season, the Sens are making a playoff push for one of those wildcard spots. Brady Kachuk's going to be an absolute animal on the ice. Like, this guy's the heart and soul of this team. He plays like a 10 year vet already. Like, he's in five years, who knows where he's going to be at?
1: One of those guys is going to be wearing the C in the next five years. That's for sure. I don't think that there is a chance anyone else. Now, we have the same guys, one and two, and six and and seven but in between we have a different order and what we did just like we did for our send central draft rankings we added our two rankings up and divided it in half so since I have them at number three you have them at four but your third pick I have down at five so coming in on third on the send central amalgamated list is Timmy Stutzla why didn't you have him at number three The only reason I don't have him at
2: number three is because in five years, I think Eric Branstrom is going to be an absolutely incredible defenseman in the NHL. And he's already dominating in the AHL. So give him half a decade, and I think he's going to hopefully grow in size, get a little stronger, and he's going to figure out those things that are hindering him at an NHL level that he's able to do against lesser competition. For me, I weigh defensemen a little higher than forward. So that's where the edge went to Branstrom.
1: That's fair, and that's basically what we said why Shabbat is ahead of Kachuk in the first spot. But for me, Timmy Sutsla is just so dynamic offensively. He brings a pedigree that none of these draft picks outside of Kachuk brought in as a prospect where you are just waiting and expecting him to explode. For Shabbat, you had to, you know, first you're drafting a defenseman from the queue and you're like, okay, can he play at both ends of the ice? And sure enough, he played that seven-minute stretch at the start of his career, and was a minus two against Arizona of all teams. But then you watch him at the World Juniors, he gets better. Same with Drake Batherson: seven goals in seven games. Timmy Superstar is coming on the scene with that nickname before ever even throwing on the jersey. And yeah, maybe I'm the one putting pressure on him by calling him that. But a third overall pick, the highest in franchise history in the last 19 years since Jason Spezza. He is the guy you are building this prospect pool around. He's the most elite talent. That's why, to me, he's at number three. But I can tell you this. You're trading Mark Stone. Your prospect you get back better be hell of a good player.
2: Yeah, and I think people are starting to realize and give Branson the proper credit. I think, like you said, when you traded him for Mark Stone, you're expecting immediate results. You're seeing what Mark Stone is doing in the playoffs, and you're looking back at your return being like, why isn't this guy ready for the NHL? Takes time. There's no there's, there's no rush. Like Branstrom, I think, is gonna be at an NHL level either this season or at the latest
1: next season. So I have Stutzla three, I have Branstrom five, you have Branstrom three, and Stutzla four. So where does that leave your number five pick? It's who I have at four, and he comes in at number five. Drake Batherson, nice to see him skating with Igor Sokolov yesterday as well, but Drizzy this guy's all NHL we don't have to spend much time just like Scott Wheeler said in his list like what hasn't been said already this is Mark Stone light coming up in the flesh and I'm so fired up to see this guy on NHL ice
2: oh yeah he he has nothing left to prove in the AHL that's for sure I I think I'm a little lower on Batherson than you. I don't see him projecting as a as an elite top line winger, but he's an elite top six winger for sure. I think you can you can put him up or down on the first or second line, but I think that's where he lands for me. And he's gonna the thing I like best about Drake is I think he's gonna be steady once he finds his footing in the NHL. I don't think you're gonna see lots of hot and cold streaks. You're gonna see nice consistency.
1: I love that out of him. And you're right. The pace is something that's taken a bit of an adjustment to get from junior to the AHL and growing into his body as well. This guy grew a ton since his draft day. So getting into a comfort zone is only going to help him, but he is already at a point where he's an NHL player, where, as we both have at number six, Josh Norris. This guy, 31 goals at the AHL level. I wouldn't mind a little more seasoning, but I don't think he would have made top 10 if I knew only what I knew about him before he came into the Sens organization. Even when he got hurt at the World Juniors and didn't get to establish himself even more at Michigan. But man, he is so good offensively and it matches his play in his own end.
2: Oh, yeah. Like offensively, you don't score 31 goals in, in the minors in your rookie year. If you're a slouch offensively, that's for sure. This guy can light it up. And where I really put a lot of emphasis in Norris's value is he elevated his game when all the other star players in Belleville graduated. You thought maybe he takes a hit here. He's not going to have Batherson, Balsers, all these guys to support him. Nope he became the guy when Batherson left. And I think he's going to be in next five years, he's going to be a great second line center.
1: Agreed. It's just a matter of when, not if with Josh Norris. Hey, are you surprised that there are six players ahead on both of our lists of Jake Sanderson?
2: I think the only reason if you're looking at this list, uh, all the other guys are so much further in their development than Sanderson is right now, other than Stutzler. Exactly
1: five years down you're looking at him being 23, where Shabbat is now. And then if we redo this list, and I do want to hold on to this, Pillsy, we're going to do this five years down the road, set an alarm in your uh, in your calendar, and we'll come take a look. But at that point, if we did it, I bet you Jake Sanderson will be number one. Yep, yeah, I think so as well, for sure. So, fair enough. Now we're going back to a guy who's at the tail end of being available on this list. Hell, he's got the exact same birthday as Thomas Shabbat, January 30th. 1997 colin white bounce back year or what big time bounce back year. i and losing mark stone as his winger like that's gotta affect anybody
2: and not only that he had a lot of pressure put on him when he signed that big deal and he became kind of one of the guys that Sens are turning to and he had, had to play top line minutes as a young center in the nhl i see him shifting to the wing and being a really good two-way winger. And for me, in the next five years, especially with the prospects coming up in this pool, we're going to see Colin White be a really effective third-line winger.
1: That would be a great spot for him. And even if he finds a way to settle at the middle of the ice and be a a third-line centerman, because if he's a third-line right winger, do you really need Connor Brown down the road? That's a conversation for another day. But wherever Colin White lands, you know he's going to bring a reliable two-way game. It's just a matter of getting that offense going which is what we saw in spades from Alex Forenton, who comes in at number nine on our Send Central list. And I have him a little bit higher than you. I have him at eight. You have him at ten. But we both have him as one of the fastest guys on this list, if not number one in that category.
2: He is number one in that category, no doubt about it. The fastest player in the entire uh, organization. And he's putting together the rest of his toolbox. This is where I see a guy, Alex Formington, is so valuable because he's going to be a good penalty killer and I can't wait to see, just like we did in Belleville, he's going to be a guy on the ice late in games when the other team's goalie is pulled because all they need to do is chip a puck past the defender and he is
1: gone. So from the fastest to the tallest among the forward prospects and we just went from number 8 to 12 on my list. So after the interview with Tony Ferrari, we'll tell you who's 10 and 11 who I have, ahead of Logan Brown. What keeps him in the top 10 for you?
2: I think a lot of people are discrediting Brown, similar to Brandstrom. You're frustrated in uh, the value of asset you think he is. He's a big centerman. He should be doing better. But the key thing with Logan Brown is, I think he's hungry as ever. Remember, his agent said he didn't think that the Senators were giving him a good enough shot. He's going to have to prove he deserves that shot. And once he learns how to play with his size he's going to be a really hard guy to stop up the middle in five years. I think Logan Brown's going to be a really effective sentiment.
1: It's going to be one way or another though. He's either going to be dominating in a top six or he's not going to be in the league at all. So you are taking a bit of a risk there. No,
2: definitely. But I think like Ross, think about what you've seen with Logan Brown and Belleville in Belleville. It's
1: just stay healthy.
2: Yeah, well, that's that's what comes with the bigger guy. And I think it, once he learns how to better play with his body, he's going to stay healthier because he's going to be more confident and less timid and uh, hopefully not gripping the stick as tight and uh, play a little looser out there.
1: Yeah, for me, it's just other guys passing him, and one of them is risky. But before we get to that, let's go back to part two of our interview with the head of North American Scouting at Dauber Prospects, and that is Tony Ferrari, But before we drive the Ferrari over to that interview, let's tell you about Rock Auto. Because if anything is wrong with your car or truck, just go to rockauto.com. It's a family business. They serve auto parts, and they've been doing it for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of different manufacturers. They have everything. I'm telling you, engine control modules and brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil. You can even get your new carpet put in there. Whether it's for your classic or daily drive, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? I'd rather get two for one. I go to rockauto.com and you should too. Head there right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Just put locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way, they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them locked on sent you the head of North American scouting at Dauber Prospects, and that is Tony Ferrari. Tony, it'll really help us out writing the articles after they win the cup, though, all the relationships going way back to Ridley Gregg and Jake Sanderson going trick-or-treating together when they were six years old, right? And the bloodlines seem to be a big factor too. The dads of Sens Prospects combined for over 4,000 NHL games with obviously Willan and Jeff Brown and Kachuk and, and Sanderson leading the way before we get to some of the offseason moves and I can't applaud Dorian enough for what he's been able to do in the last 10 days I'm curious about Eric Engstrand because I know nothing about him outside of the fact that in junior he put up ridiculous offensive numbers and he seems to be having an everyday role in an SHL at, at 18 years old being a fifth round pick so with him, is he a guy that we could see come over and play in the AHL sooner than later, or would you leave him in Sweden to develop?
0: I'd probably leave him in Sweden for at least this year. This is going to be a weird year. Like we, yeah. 2020 is going to be odd. Um, I've even, like, in my own head and privately, made the argument that maybe Stutzel should just stay over in, in DEL for the year. Um, I don't think that's going to happen realistically. Uh, he's he's going to be in Ottawa whenever they get the chance to get him there because he's a good enough player to do it, certainly. And for PR. Yeah, oh, for sure. Like, you're going to sell some jerseys, and I think this is is almost like the the worst-case scenario for the Ottawa Senators drafting Tim Stutzel because he's not going to be able to legitimately put butts in the seats like he would have. So um, I think you're going to get a ton of sales and, and stuff like that for him, and you're going to get a ton of good PR. But Eric Engstrand, he's he's an interesting player because he's a big player, he's mobile, but he's he's a little bit lanky, and he, he kind of needs to fill out a little bit, needs to get a little stronger. Um, he He has an issue with kind of – going in there and not engaging in the physical play with it because he's a big size he's he's six foot four so he's got the size to do it and the frame to fill out but he kind of shies away from physical play a little bit and I I look at him and I go oh like there's like there's one game specifically I watched recently on him kind of when I was trying to build his profile for Dauber Prospects and he was like streaking up the wing and he had all the room in the world to cut to the middle and he decided to cut to the outside instead. And and the defender was like shading him to the middle. Like he like the defender almost seemingly wanted him to go to the middle. And he still chose to go to the outside. And that's a, a trait that he does a lot. So I think he needs to get better at, at kind of getting in there. But at the same time, like when he's working a cycle, he's pretty good on the cycle. When he's working those physical areas, he he has the strength and the physical ability to do it. He just shies away from it too much. So I think there's just going to be some some mental maturation there, and I think a year in in Sweden this year he'll play over there. Let him stay comfortable. Bring him to the AHL next year and get him in that physical game. Like the AHL is a physical league. Like a lot of people don't give credit for it and in it's a factor in, in a lot of younger prospects not scoring as much you look at a guy like william nylander or, or a guy like philip zadina in, in detroit a lot of times fans and, and analysts are like oh why aren't they scoring a ton it's like because they're getting hammered by guys that can't make the nhl and know that this is their only way to make a living so the ahl is a physical league if you can make it in the ahl there's a lot a good chance you can make it in the nhl so i think this is a guy that is that perfect put him in the ahl see what he does he's a fifth round pick If he doesn't work out you have a An AHL player at worst.
1: Exactly. And I mentioned that he made the the SHL at 18, 19. Well, he's 20 year olds old now. And that's kind of why I like this way of thinking by Dorian of getting these older players because they've been clear. They're giving their prospects now a chance to move to the NHL. So rather than bring in a bunch of guys from the outside, just draft 20 year olds and then they go right into the system. So you love to see that. But you also love to see when you trade your seventh pick in the draft for a potential starting goalie. We know Matt Murray has had some inconsistencies to say the least over the past two seasons do you think he's going to be able to put it all together during this next four years of his
0: contract i do i i have some faith in matt murray and and i don't really know why i just do um he's a guy that i think he got a bit of a rod into the stick in pittsburgh because i say that knowing that he he was also the guy that kicked Marc andre Fleury out of town but he kind of came into last year and he wasn't playing well and they instantly went to tristan jari like they went to him real fast and and it's been a couple of years that he hasn't had great numbers and whatnot, but I think Matt Murray's still a good goalie. Like he's a guy that I think I love the move for Ottawa personally. Like I would rather trade that pick than draft a goalie at that pick because you don't know what you're getting. At least with Matt Murray, you know you're getting a two-time Stanley Cup champion who started NHL games on a consistent basis over the last few years. So I loved the, the, the acquisition. I thought that it was smart business by, by Ottawa because they knew that Pittsburgh needed to move a goalie. So trading for Matt Murray, I thought is was a great pick, especially because I've kind of always been a little bit down on, on the Ottawa Senators goalie pool. I, I don't think that any of them are bad players. I think they're all about the same level of, there could be one good 1A, 1B guys. I don't know if any of them are a surefire starter. I think maybe Philip Gustafson has some of that. And I know Danny has some, some opinions as well. So I always default to him for, for hmm. goalies, but... Yeah, I think this is a good pickup for the Sounders overall.
2: Yeah, Danny, I uh, like the Gustafson uh, idea as well. We're we're more on team decor side. We think he's got the the positioning. Being a son of a goaltender coach helps, but and it's kind of funny. You said uh, you would rather trade for a goalie with that pick than draft one, and that's what Pittsburgh went ahead and did, and they got Joel Blongfis with that pick that they got in return. So that's kind of funny. But I want to move on to the next big signing for the Ottawa Senators. Maybe Filsey's
1: Pro- favorite player in NHL history.
2: Nah, that's pushing it, but <laughs> I love this guy. I think he's so underrated. He gets overshadowed in Florida. He, all he does is put up monster points. I think since he returned to the NHL, he's 11th in total points. Like, just massive. So getting Evgeny Dadnov to a three-year deal, probably the biggest free agent signing the Sens have had in like a decade. Since How- Kovalev. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, baby. exactly. And I would say this is much better than Kovalev, or at least Adinov, still in his prime. What What do you think this move means for the Ottawa Senators? Like, what message is Dorian sending, not only to his players but the league? Getting a big fish in the free agency pool.
0: Well, I'm gonna start by saying I think this could be the steal of free agency. I love this. Like, I I was sitting there like, why is this guy not signed? I don't get it. Like, I was like, at some point this someone could have him for a three by five or something, right? And then he signs in Ottawa, and I'm like. God damn, that's a nice pick. That's a nice pickup. Like this, this guy, I think it's two of his three seasons in the NHL since he's come back over. He's at least 65 points. Uh last year was a down year at 47 points, but that team was ravaged with the injuries. And, and let's be honest, the Florida Panthers just weren't very good last year in general. So I think this is a, a, a signal to the fans and, and signal to the team that hey, we're gonna start adding talent now. Like we are we've bottomed out. We we have been the dog shit team for lack of a better term. Like, they, they, they've been the Ottawa Senators that everyone makes fun of. Now it's time to start making some steps. Like, they've drafted – they've got the Tim Stutzel. They've got Jake Sanderson. They've got Josh Norris and Logan Brown and all these other guys coming up. So they're – I'm not saying they're going to be a good team next year. They're probably going to be bad, and they're probably going to draft fairly high in the next year's draft. But I don't think they're going to draft first overall. I don't think they're even going to draft – I, I this might be a hot take, but I don't think they're going to draft in the top five next year. Okay. I think they could be yeah. a sneaky, challenging team because I look at their projected roster, and I'm like, man, this team really, like, outside of having an Austin Matthews, it gives me a ton of, like, 2016-17 Leafs vibes. Their defense is, uh, uh. Thomas Shabbat's a really good player. I, like, uh, as much as... Oh, you I, think? I, I, Are you oh, sure? yeah, maybe. Are you sure? He's probably not even a first-line player, but whatever. Couldn't
1: fit in your tweet. Uh,
0: too many characters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean you see a starting goalie, which Toronto yeah. went out and got at that same, same off-season. They go and get yep. Freddie Anderson. They paid a way bigger price. They ultimately gave a first and a second, if I'm not yep. mistaken. So you, you look at getting a goalie who's on a little bit of a down curve, and just like Dadanov, getting Murray who wants to be in Ottawa it just yep. sets such a precedent and a note around the league. I think the Murray one more so than Dadanov because if you're Kachuk or you're Shabbat, you're a little tired of that 900, 895 save percentage. And you're like, wow, we got a guy who just three years ago, I was watching lift the Stanley Cup or in Colin White's case was in the press box when Pittsburgh put him in and they come back and, and beat Ottawa in the playoffs. So I love both those moves. But speaking of Dadnov and you mentioned the, the lineup, who do you think would be the best chemistry wise and in terms of top six that you would put him with in day one of training camp?
0: Oh, man, it's going to be interesting because they've got a lot of options down the middle, and I, I think Colin White's going to be a guy that plays in the top six, and, and I just keep getting the feeling that you put him with a guy like uh, Logan Brown and the playmaking that Brown has, and if, if Brown can stick at the, the NHL level this year, which I think it's time. Like, this kid needs to be in the NHL this year. I have no reason – I can't justify putting him in the AHL this year, especially because there might not be an AHL season this year or a full one at that. So I think Logan Brown with, with on on, the, on a line just – Brown with his silky playmaking, his pinpoint passing, and, and Dadnov just teeing it up. And I think that'd be a really good uh, pairing to have. But I, I don't know if Brown's going to play that high up in the lineup yet. So I, I honestly don't know. There's so many different uh, combinations with this team. One guy we
1: would love to see there, I think Pilsey's going to follow up on this, but Vitaly Abramov get the yes. little Russian combo. And that kid's hands are so nice. And I think that's what it needs because watching all of Dadinov's highlights, like he's beating goalies clean. But unfortunately, Huberto sold separately. He is in a ton of those clips as the setup man.
0: Yeah, that's really what it is. Is you need a guy to to kind of be the playmaker, the facilitator for Dadnoff because Dadnoff's skill set doesn't necessarily lead itself to being the the true play driver on the line. But he's the ultimate compa- uh, complementary player, and in um, I kind of look at him as a guy that Robbie Yarventy can t- kind of develop into. Um, they play a similar style of game. They both have a really good shot, and that's the that's the selling factor on their game. So. I think Dadnov can be a guy that whether he's playing with, with Josh Norris or Colin White or Logan Brown or whoever he's playing with, Vitaly Abramov with all the skill that he has, there, there's going to be production. Like, the Ottawa Centers are no longer a, a dumpster fire. They're no longer a, a vast waste of no talent. They have tons of skill now. Like, they, like I said they're going to be a feisty, feisty team this year, and I think they're going to surprise a lot of teams
2: speaking of skill and speaking of feistiness let's get to the other off season uh, moves that dorian made i'm going to pull these three together in toughness and grit, so you got Josh Brown, Erica Branson, and Austin Watson, who the centers like depending on how you look at it, they did give up assets and the sense of done well drafting, so those middle round draft picks that they gave up for these tougher, older players definitely are concerning to some people, but do you think it was worth it to acquire these guys? And again, high character guys who are going to help protect the investment of these young skilled guys, how important is it to add those NHL tough veterans like them?
0: I think it's really important. And I think we're seeing teams around the league kind of realize that with what Tampa did and they finally got over the hump and why? Because they got guys like Bogosian and got guys like Pat Maroon to sit there and drop in the gloves. Yeah. Like they don't necessarily need a guy to be an enforcer, a Matt Martin. Like they need guys that are functionally tough. That's a term I've used for, for a couple years now. And I think two of the three guys you mentioned are functionally tough. I think Brown is going to be very good. I think he's going to be, provide some stability on the back end. He's going to do some things well. And I think the, uh, Watson, oh. yeah, he, he's going to be a really good, complimentary bottom six player. He's going to be a guy that, that some of the younger players can look to and be like, hey, I haven't experienced this before in the NHL. What's going on? And he's going to be able to rely on them for that. Where I think you lose the functional toughness is with good Branson. And and I think every team kind of has one of these guys on the team. So I don't don't think it's the worst thing. And like I said, Ottawa's not going to be a really good team going like this year. So having good Branson in there, he's a good leader. He's got the character. So you can afford if you're the Ottawa Senators to have a guy like that on the team. Like I said, the functionality is not necessarily there, but I think it's a decent pickup. Like I don't hate the pickup as much as most people. And I I got a little crap on Twitter the other day because when Dorian came out and he said something about, uh, Oh, he's, he doesn't he have much
1: skill. Yeah, yeah, he
0: doesn't got much skill, but he'll, he'll cross check in the back. <laughs> yeah. So I just like jokingly retweeted like, uh, and I was like, oh yeah, like he, he's not very good, but he's going to break the rules all the time. And then I was like, pure Dorian probably. Yeah. And I'm like, man, it's like, I didn't even have an issue with, with the sign like with the acquisition of Good Branson or anything like that. Like I said, I, I can justify it in my mind. Like there's a, a purpose to having him on the team. That's what we did. The quote was kind of goofy as hell. And that's what I was trying to get at. And there was like I had one in the auto center's friend that was like yelling at me and even DM'd me and he was like getting angry and I'm like, dude, 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 calm down. Talk I'm fine with Good Branson. He's good, man. Like you want him on your team? Not Doesn't a guy lose I'd many take... fights. Yeah, not a guy I'd take probably, but yeah you, you gotta be
2: the... co- careful with jokes on uh twitter with Sen's fans they, oh. they're they're quick to jump to conclusions you
0: need a
1: sarcasm button on twitter we oh man
0: I, I need to tag half my tweets and sarcasm with senators fans because <laughs>
1: we like, may contain sarcasm
0: three comments in in tweet i end up like posting a second tweet be like hey guys i'm st- fine like i try to explain <laughs> still no one no one read the second tweet everyone wants to read the first one so so uh, with,
1: the, with those three guys though Let's let's play how much did the Sens improve. You replaced Scott Sabarin with Austin Watson. You replaced Mark Borvietsky with Josh Brown. And you replaced Ron Hainsey with Erica Branson. When you
0: rationalize it like that, does it make a bit more sense? I, I think it does. Like I think there's upgrades on on the first two. And the good Branson-Hainsey, it's probably a wash. I don't think there's much much difference there. Hainsey plays a bit of a different game. He doesn't play as a tougher game. So if you wanted toughness, it's an upgrade. Yeah, I, I don't see an issue with when you're looking at it in that sense. You're getting upgrades on all three guys, maybe marginally with good Branson, but you're still getting an upgrade over a 3,000-year-old Ron Hainsey.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, everyone's on that page. Um, the final question for me, Tony. There's still a couple RFAs yet to be signed for the Senators, most notably Connor Brown, Chris Tierney. Of those two, what, which one do you think is most important for the Senators roster moving forward?
0: I think for me personally, it's Connor Brown. And that might be a little bit of a personal bias because I've seen him play for longer. I've seen him play since he was playing in Erie and stuff. So I think Connor Brown... He provides looked pretty a, good there, eh? Yeah, he provides a lot of versatility. And that's what I like about Connor Brown is he can play up and down your lineup. And he's not going to be the best player in your, third, or your first line. But if he's the third best player in your first line, it's not the worst thing in the world. If he's the, th- if he's the second best player in your second line, it's not the worst thing in the world. If he's the best player in your third line, which he won't be on this Ottawa Senators lineup, that's not that bad. So he's a guy that I think plays up and down the lineup, whereas with Chris Tierney, I think he's a good player. He's an NHL player, certainly. But I don't know where he kind of fits with this team now. It's, with, with so many good players and, and the prospects coming up, he's almost a guy that I, I dangle to other teams because – I do want to get Josh Brown in the lineup, and I, or Josh Norris, and I want to get Logan Brown and, and all these guys into the lineup. And I mean, Shane Pinto's probably a year away. Like, you're getting other guys coming up. And Ridley Gregg, and another one that kind of fills that role. He doesn't play center as much, but I, I think he's a guy that fills the, the same role that Chris Tierney does. And you're just getting a surplus now with them. And I think this is kind of the time with, with the Senators where they're, they're bring, starting to bring in more talent. So some of these guys that we've kind of grown attached to, like Chris Tierney, because he was in that, that trade, we, we kind of have to forget about him and, and kind of let him move on. And, and if Ottawa can dangle his RFA rights for a middle-round pick to compensate what they lost in, in maybe the good Branson trade or something, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world.
1: Yeah, he's a good player, like puts up points. He's a good playmaker sometimes. And you see the Sens are kind of building with players that play with a lot of pace. And I think that's where Chris Tierney's game lacks a little bit. Yep. Like he's not the quickest guy through the neutral zone. Um, one guy who is, and I have a quick follow-up before my last question, what the hell is going on with Anthony Duclair? What's he going to sign for? And is there a chance he could come back to Ottawa?
0: I, I hope so. I uh, I think it's such a good fit. It, it was such a good fit last year. I, I see nothing to dissuade me from thinking that's the perfect situation for him. He'll get top six opportunity. He'll get the playing time. He'll He's a good offensive player. Like, sure. Like, I know some, some people are, like, down on his defensive game. But guess what? I'm not – I don't care about a winger's defensive game, to be completely honest, that much. Like – Tim Stutzel, the same thing. He has defensive issues big time, but I don't care. The kid's dynamic offensively, and, and Anthony Duclair has that that factor as well. He's a good offensive player. He can score 20 goals multiple times in the NHL now, so this is a guy that fits on this lineup. I don't know why he hasn't. I don't know if it's maybe there's a personal issue there or something behind Wall the scenes.
1: a 5 by 5 contract is a little bit of a, uh, a big ask.
0: That's a, that's a crazy ask. If that's what he's asking, then it's wild and ridiculous, but this is a guy that I think he's. I think his big thing is he's looking for that security. He wants a deal where he knows he's like, okay, I'm going to play in this market for a few years because he's seemingly played for every team in the NHL and he's like 23. So it, it's wild to me how, how much he just constantly changes teams. I bet you this guy has a, a room in his house and he's just like, ah, I just got to fill up the other half of the NHL with jerseys. Like, it's crazy to me. So while I don't think he'll be back because I, I, I just don't see it at this point, I still think it's a really good fit. Five by five is a lot, but I think you could get a three year deal for four and a half or four and it'd be pretty realistic.
2: All right, guys. Hopefully you're enjoying that Tony Ferrari part two interview so far. But before we get back to that, one quick message from our friends at Built Bar. You gotta try their new product, Built Go. It's 2 p.m. Wednesday, middle of the week almost the end of your workday, and you you're just hit a wall mentally, physically, you're tired, you, you don't want to finish your shift, well, grab some Built Go to break through that wall and finish that shift, whether it's a mental or physical wall. It's easy to take in one and a half ounce packages. Put it in your briefcase for work, your hockey bag, your golf bag, or just put it in your pocket for a run or a bike ride or whatever you're doing during the day just to get a quick boost. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it feels better for your body. It's like drinking an energy drink with a third of the caffeine and better results. You got three delicious flavors already. Peanut butter honey, chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint. Go for the peanut butter honey this week. That's my pick. Put it in your protein shake. Like If you want protein, protein on protein on protein, you're going to get it with Built Go. How does Built Go work so well? Built Go combines energy gel with collagen protein. Collagen protein is a fast absorbing gel. So it gets into your system fast and it's easy on the stomach. It's not going to feel like a big shock to your system. Collagen promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. This stuff will literally help you look better. Here's the offer, guys. Visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 30% off at builtgo.com. Let's go.
1: You said probably not a top five, so I want to finish off my last question. Again, Tony, thanks so much for taking the time with us. We love having you on. Officially a friend of the show, by the way, as well, now recurring guest. 2021 draft, maybe not just the top five, but the, the first half of the first round. What kind of talent are we expecting? I've heard it's really big on defensemen. What other kind of expectations should we have with this draft class?
0: Well, I think this year we had Lafreniere and Byfield and Stutzla and Raymond, all these really high-end forwards. We don't have that next year. We don't have, like, the, the few of the guys up top are Atu Ratu and, and Dylan Genther and Cole Sillinger. These guys, really good offensive players. Um, they're all probably top six wingers or top six forwards, and they're really good. There isn't that elite offensive forward. Whereas on, on the back end, because this is a defense draft, there's a lot of people that say, oh, well, it's not as high end. I don't know what you're seeing because th- there's some high-end elite defensemen in this draft class. Um, Brant Clark is just dynamic, skilled, plays for, the, for Barry in the OHL. Ottawa boy. Um, yeah. Just a ton of talent on this kid. And there's a real, real chance he goes first overall. And, and kind of before I get to the rest of the guys, next year's draft, there is no surefire prospect to go first overall. That was kind of a big topic in, in the pro- podcast we just did with Scott Wheeler. We talked about eight different guys at first overall. And then we talked about two or three more that maybe get into the same conversation. Like there's this is wide open at the top. And, and Brant Clark, in my opinion, the head of the class right now. Carson Lambos from the Winnipeg Ice isn't far behind. He's He's probably the most well rounded defenseman in the draft class. Um, think Jake Sanderson with a, a better offensive skill set like this kid. I love this kid. He's my favorite player in the draft for next year already. Physically mature plays a really high in defensive game. We we kind of spoke with Scott and we were like, oh, this is out of any player in next year's draft. Carson Lambos might be able to step in the NHL today and be a competent bottom pair in defenseman. Like he is that good defensively, I think. And his offensive game is nothing to shy away from. Like He was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the leading, leading rookie scorer among defensemen in the WHL last year. Put up a ton of points last year. He's got a huge shot from the point. And his transition game's just awesome. He's got a really powerful stride, and that's the thing I like about him. There are there are flashes of that like powerful stride that you see from a Kale McCarr or a Nathan McKinnon. You see them coming, and if you're a defenseman, you're like, well, I'm just going to get either leveled or I'm going to get turned styled. So what do I want to do today? Like, wh- What bad end of the highlight do I want to be on? Because this kid's got some of that in him, so I think he's really high end, but there's so many names at the top of next year's draft. Another one is uh, Simon Edvinson from Sweden. He's similar to Brant Clark in the sense that he's really lanky. He's got a ton of skill, but this guy's hands are better than half the forwards in this draft class, to be completely honest. Like this, I watched a play with him yesterday when I was scouting him and he made a spin at his own blue line, put the puck through a, another four checkers legs and then just beat a guy wide all in one, like one transitional rush. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Like you're just toying with people at this point. Like he's got some defensive issues, similar to Brent Clark. And those two are probably the most similar players at the top of this draft class. But the last defenseman I want to mention is a guy that gets a lot of love, and that's Owen Power. He played for the Chicago Steel last year. Uh, he's going to Michigan this year, U of M. He's big boy. He's always been physically mature for his age. Um, he's one of the older players for this draft class, but he led the entire USHL in defenseman scoring last year. Just dominated the league. Um, he got help from that that Chicago Steel team, which was loaded last year. Yeah, that was there's, a stacked team. Yeah, there's no denying that he was a guy that was getting help from them, but there was so many times where he was the guy driving the bus on that, uh, from the back end on that team. So I think those four guys all have a shot at number one. Uh, I mentioned Atu Ratu, who's kind of a – he's Anton Lindell plus. That's the way I've, I've kind of described him. He's not quite as good defensively, but he's a very good two-way player. And he just la- lacks some of the offensive school skills, right? Dylan Genther, who I mentioned earlier, plays out west. He's really high-end skill. He's a really play-driving guy. He plays some center, but he probably profiles as a winger as well. And Chaz Lucius from the NTDP team. That's the last guy I'll mention for the 2021 class. Is he going League. to North Dakota? Uh, probably not. Well, um, then no, off it, the radar. Yeah, I think don't he's going bother. To one, yeah, we don't need to hear it. <laughs> yeah, he's going to one of the Boston colleges, so it's not even useful. When's the last time a draft has been so this wide open? Honestly, like, I've, I've been trying to go back, and I'm like, man, like you look at that 2017 draft with Heisher and Patrick, and you're like, that was a little wide open. There was some some debate, and some people got a little feisty with putting Pedersen up higher in the rankings, which in hindsight looks like a genius move, but. In reality, like, I don't remember a draft class where you're going into the year going, yeah, there's like eight or nine guys that maybe go number one.
1: Man, we're excited to follow that along. I'm sure we'll be back to talk about their progression. And as the NHL season gets underway, always a pleasure having you on at the Tony Ferrari and the host of the Dauber Draftcast. We're excited about that tee up with you and Scott Wheeler, another guest of our show. So we'll be sure to listen to that. Tony, always a pleasure having you on. We'll chat again soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me. It was a fun time coming on. Top 10 in the books, Pillsy, but not for my list, at least, because you put a couple guys ahead of me.
2: Yeah, so now we're moving on to number 11. And again, the the only reason I would have number 11 mixed with number 12 for me is where they're at right now and where I think they're going to be in five years just because they have a head start. And so that guy for me is Vitaly Bramov holy crap are we seeing the offensive upside this guy can have overseas. Like When he's given the opportunity, he's a guy that's going to cause so much havoc for other teams in front of the net. His play away from the puck and his consistency still needs a little bit of work. But if, if he has the time and space, he's going to make opponents' goalies look foolish. And you, you coined a term in yesterday's episode – top seven winger that's what I see Vitaly Abramov because if he's on the third line he's probably the best player on that third line
1: how much of that is having a coach who's going to give him an opportunity to take over games because it's so easy with a guy who's smaller in stature who may not be the best in his own end to have that consistent shift after shift mentality of I'm going to go here to make a play not a mistake
2: well, I can answer that simply, Ross. Just just ask his coach in Liga right now, what, what happens when you give him the time to to produce and take over a game? Not, He'll tell you not, pretty quickly.
1: Not like he has many options. That team scored six goals in four games before Vitaly came over there. And that's why I have him at number 10 on my list. But on our list, he comes in at number 11. Another guy I have just ahead of Logan Brown is Shane Pinto. And something interesting about Shane Pinto, no, it's not his unbelievable success rate in the face-off circle it's not the fact that he had 16 goals in 33 games as a freshman at UND no it's the fact that he's one of the only guys on this list the only guy as well who is in the top end as a centerman because Tierney Logan Brown Timmy Stutzla everybody in the center of the ice for Ottawa Philip Schlappick as well are lefties so it's nice to have a righty in the mix Colin White is the only other one who we've had on this list so far and then there's a few defensemen but for me Shane Pinto what he's shown in his exponential growth since being drafted out of the USHL it's just too much not to give enough credit for I know it's a situation too where we have to see him at the pro level but from what I'm seeing nothing but positive out of Shane Pinto
2: Shane, the bean Pinto, I'm right there with you. Definitely a lot of positives. His, he announced himself to the world at the World Juniors, seven points in five games. He he's
1: Shout got, out to Henry as well. Uh, yeah. Remember on this show when we were getting like 12 listens a day, he said if there's a prop bet for Shane Pinto getting a high tip deflection goal at the World Juniors, hammer the over, how long did it take?
2: I think it was the first five minutes of the first game. Shane yeah. Pinto typical. Shout tipo. out
1: sense prospects. Doing a hell of a job covering all the guys overseas too.
2: Oh yeah, as always, as always. And that's that's an underrated skill for Pinto, is hand-eye coordination. And you mentioned the right shot on the face-off dot. He has a high success rate on the face-off dot too. I'm assuming a lot of other teams are in similar scenarios where they have a lot of left shot guys at, at the center position. So having a right shot guy to mix it up in the dot Definitely does you a lot of good. I see Shane Pinto as being a middle six centerman. So either a second line centerman or a third line centerman.
1: But as the bean continues to sprout, Rudolph keeps putting that red light on. He went on, what was it last year, Pilsy? I should mention he's coming in tied for 13th on our top 15 prospects. How many games did he go straight with a point last year? That was unbelievable.
2: It was 16 or 17. And he had a couple nights in there with uh, multi-point performances. Like, Rudolph, this is another guy. Nothing left to prove in the east. Like, this guy is ready for the NHL. And similar to Abramov, like we talked about, I would say these two are fighting for the same roster spot at this point. He needs to be given those opportunities to produce because – I find Rudolph Balsers. What I like about him, he has good hockey IQ, and he always great hockey IQ. Yeah, he always seems to be in the right spot at the right time. Call it lucky, I call it smart. And Rudolph Balsers will make you pay if you leave him open.
1: Hundred percent. I'm excited to see him getting back on the ice. Uh, It should be tonight. From when you're listening this Friday night, that uh, Rudolphs will make his debut back with the Oilers. Where Vasker? Where are they at? Stavanger. Stavanger, nice, Norway. up in Norway with all the Fjordes. Um, now we're heading back to UND, though, with the other tied for 13th. So you had Rudy at 13, I had him at 14. We flipped these two because I had Jacob Bernard-Docker at number 13 because I still think he has top four upside. And he's already 21 years old, or 20, sorry. So at 25 years old, that's this is right in the prime of his career. If he can be anything, and we mentioned Shane Pinto being a rare right-hand shot on this list, the back end basically is Bernard Docker and Lassie Thompson as right-hand shots going forward. So you need at least one of those, hopefully two, to be top four defensemen, unless you're going to play Branstrom on his offside. So I think Jacob Bernard Docker is the best bet to get there in that case, because he's so steady, he can close gaps like nobody else, but he also... Has a nice little touch in the offensive zone. He knows when to cycle and when to get the puck on net. And he shoots and creates rebounds. So you saw it with his huge role with Canada last year at the World Juniors. He even had a bit of a role as an 18-year-old two years ago. So you look at that, and I just think he's going to be a solid contributor going forward and a big part of this rebuild, maybe underrated even.
2: Yeah, I think he, he kind of gets uh, lost in the shuffle with all the uh, exciting, more flashy names that the Sens have here. And I see Jacob Bernard-Docker being a very, very good partner for Thomas Shabbat. He still has a bit of offensive upside. He's going to be on the right side, a little bit of a more stay-at-home defenseman. And then for the second pair, I see Jake Sanderson on the left side and Eric Branstrom on the right side, kind of the same yin and yang formula as uh, the top pair.
1: So with those two tied at 13, we move to tied for 15th. And you have him as an honorable mention. I have him as 15th on my list. So you said that top four. Well, doesn't Lassie Thompson side perfectly into a top six role then in that case? Yep.
2: I have Lassie Thompson uh, top six role. Right Who can play on the power room. play? Exactly. I think he'll be on a second power play unit and he's going to be looking for a left shot defenseman to kind of be his stay at home partner on that bottom pair. So it'll be interesting. Maybe, maybe that becomes a Who knows?
1: That would be really nice. I think that that would benefit, man, if that's your top six, what you just mentioned there, you're laughing. Now we oh, yeah. just aged out of this list. I love last year. What he brings in terms of slap shot as well, kind of an old school tool, but, if you think about it, you can realistically have Brandstrom and Thompson on the back end of your second power play unit if you have Drake or somebody else playing up top with Shabbat on the first unit. So they just add so many options having that weapon. Ridley Gregg is more of a Swiss army knife than a weapon, but he's tied for 15th and you had him at number 15 for me who's honorable mention. Why did he get that spot for you? I just think he
2: brings a different element uh, and... Uh, Look, I, I'm guilty of this myself. I was a little down on Ridley Gregg. Like I've said a couple times in the draft, there was players I would have much preferred over the guys that the Sens picked. So that kind of dampened my opinion on them. But now that I'm over that, Ridley Gregg, I see a lot of good things. Hearing Craig Button, if you haven't listened to those interviews, go back and listen. He has high praise for Ridley Gregg. I, I kind of see Ridley Gregg as being like a little bit like Pajot, but a little nastier. Even nastier. A, a smaller feisty centerman that's going to play in your bottom six and he can produce offensively i think his offensive upside is going to really show here in the next while we're talking five-year projection so by the time that comes about i think he's going to be a solid bottom six centerman with some offensive upside
1: that would be the dream if he's got that offensive upside because you know he safely projects to be a bottom six forward with penalty killing ability but how much offense can he help produce? That is the question for Ridley Gray. Pillsy, let's rifle off these before we say goodbye and stay tuned because tomorrow's episode is a goalie-friendly show, to say the least, on the Locked on Senators podcast. Maybe a special guest, maybe not. Who knows? But we will be ranking, as we are right now, the top 20 players. We've got the entire organizational goalie ranking coming tomorrow. But, Pillsy, let's finish this off. Quickly, you rifle through the rest of our honorable mentions. There's three more guys, and then we'll get down to why you had the final guy and why I did.
2: All right, I'm going to go with probably our favorite of the next three, Igor Sokolov and... Similar like Ridley Gregg, he brings a different dynamic to this prospect pool and a big man with soft hands, as Craig Button likes to say. This guy was a scoring machine in his final year in the queue. He's going to be a top six guy in Belleville immediately and maybe even be a dark horse to crack this NHL roster since he's already 20 years old.
1: Would not shock me one bit to see Igor Sokolov get a chance to play in the NHL this year, but it wouldn't shock me either to have Philip Slapik get a chance to play NHL games. So make or break year from Philip Slapik as well. He makes our honorable mentions. He is also in a graduating class in terms of aging out of this list. Whereas Robbie Yarventi is only getting started 18 years old, so much offensive upside. And he's showing that to the start of his league of season. Now, your last player on the list was Tyler Clevin. Mine was Christian Yarosch. Let's hear your sales pitch.
2: Well, I, I actually think that this is a perfect comparison too because you're, you're hoping that these guys are going to be similar style defensemen, right? Big, physical, tough to play against guys. I think we've seen what Yarosh is. I don't see a whole lot more upside in Yarosch. And similar with Schlapik. I think we've seen what he is, and that's fine. Not, not a knock against him, but I don't think there's room for a lot of growth there. Where Tyler Clevin, there is nothing but room for growth. This is a project guy. And I kind of this, I'll be honest, it's a bit of a reach, but I think he's gonna spend the full four years at UMD, which is good. That's a defenseman factory. He's gonna get all those kinks out of his game. And when those kinks are out of his game, he's gonna be a bigger, more physical, better checking defenseman than Jarosz is.
1: Okay, that's fair. He's he's already taller and he is younger. I just think. A twenty-three-year-old Clevin could be where Yarosh is on this list. Whereas Yarosh, being twenty-eight in that situation and being a strong guy, I think that he can establish himself in a bottom pair role a little bit more assuredly than Clevin would.
2: Yeah, and that's totally fair. Like for me, Clevin, like he's just reaching the surface at day three hundred sixty-four of that fifth year. <laughs> like, right, really pushing that fifth-year timeline.
1: Well, the fact that we're talking about 15 potential Ottawa centers, 20 rather, that have a chance to play meaningful minutes at the NHL level just shows you where Ottawa is in this rebuild. It's not Detroit anymore. It's not Buffalo of years past. It's not where you have stripped down. This thing has been stripped. You've been stripped of all your favorite players, but there are plenty more that will fit that mold sooner rather then later stay tuned as I mentioned for tomorrow's Locked On Senator's podcast but for now for Brandon Pillar I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senator's podcast. Your team every day.